good and evil. Moving to the bottom line early, there isn't a piece of non-physical real estate anywhere that is called heaven or hell. And what man calls evil isn't anything more than a name that has been given to a condition, place, or thing that appears to be inharmonious. So at the beginning of our lesson today, let's remember that there is but one presence, one power, God, source, energy, love, joy, omnipresent. The energy behind all things is not skewed in a direction of anything save what, as it moves through us as us, has been given the name of love. As the word evil is used, it most generally has a connotation of a, mere, a very non-benevolent something that has an agenda that involves pain, suffering, and perceived loss in many varieties. Often it includes, as in the workshop presentation uh, attended, a belief in an actual entity who in man's vivid imagination has been given the power to corrupt humankind. Believe me, any corruption of humankind doesn't need an outside help, does it? Yet even in this analogy, we are told that because we are eternal, that we can really never get it wrong because we're always in process of new things. It is not possible to visit today's subject without again visiting uh, areas of, of Scripture and specifically Unity's understanding of it. For if I were to have been foolhardy enough at the, um, at the workshop to make some unity-based comment, I know that uh, scripture would have been cited in verse to back up belief, which actually amounts to an excuse as to why one is really never self-responsible for one's life. However, he knew his material, and that's why we went. And sometimes, sometimes I know enough not to be foolhardy. Why do I bring into the fray the subject of what has been called Satan? If we are going to talk about heaven and hell, it is difficult to do so without some kind of comprehension about what is scripturally found within concerning what generally is represented by a skinny man in a red suit with a trident, sometimes more contemporary with eyes that sometimes glow red. In our Old Testament, we are first introduced to the concept of Satan in the book of Job, uh, which you might remember if you were here a couple of weeks ago, is held by some to be the actual oldest book in the Old Testament, uh, perhaps as, as, uh, as early as, uh, as B.C. 2000. And parenthetically, the first book in the Old Testament, in the Bible as a whole, it isn't Genesis. Uh, it appears to be that to the casual reader, but Genesis was written about halfway through uh, the time frame uh, of the writing of the Old Testament. Here we see the introduction to what might be called a member of God's celestial council of angelic beings whose responsibility it was to search out man's sins so as to accuse them before a celestial court. Apparently having direct access to a very anthropomorphic God he nevertheless had no power in and of himself to do anything without God's permission. Now, now follow this with me. In the opening scenario of Job, God asks Satan, what's he been up to? God who is omnipresent, it would, what you've been doing, right? Mm -hmm. And he was told, well, I've been surveying the earth and steadfastness therein, or lack of it. 
And then God brings up Job, and uh, apparently very proud of this man, and touts his innocence. Satan then told God that it was only because things were going well for him. Let me prove to you that I can do things that will make him curse you to your face. Permission granted. Isn't that sweet? And many hold this to be literal, for because they hold the Bible to be the literal word of God. Um, Yet little effort is given to juxtapose this understanding in the New Testament, where no scenario is offered. Almost no one has a problem with practically any concept of heaven. But what about hell? Again, and it will be said more than a few times this morning, unity understands the ability to experience both heaven and hell in the physical now to be results from states of consciousness held by each individual. Heaven is a state of consciousness that speaks to our awareness of our oneness with what we call God's source energy. Hell is a state of consciousness that speaks to a fear-based approach to life and living. Both manifest within the emotional and physical realms of our beingness, of our experience. However, because fear is only a possible function here in this physical experience, hell has no meaning whatsoever once we transition into non-physical. Hell only has a possible meaning right here in our physical moment. Heaven, on the other hand, is as much here and now as we make the choice for it to be within us. And once we transition into non-physical and are again wholly aligned and totally aware of that part of us that is only pure positive energy, we certainly are in what we call the state of awareness, which we can say is heaven. Hell is an outgrowth of a fearful mind that then jumped to conclusions as evidenced in the authorship of the book of Job, where early on identity was given to a non-physical being capable of malevolent activity called Satan. Along the way, artists picked up on the theme Writings such as Dante's Inferno, Inferno Italian translates into hell in English. So now we have vivid pictures and we have vivid writings of what hell is like, all from the vivid imagination of the human mind, which is projecting from fear. Now, what about the New Testament? As I said when I shared the lesson on unity in the Bible, only the writings of Paul, for certain, and perhaps other non-gospel books as well have the documented words of the author. The gospels in chronological order, which would be Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John, have to be questioned as to the accuracy of words or quotes attributed to Jesus, for they were compiled many, many, many years after Jesus' transition. And then we know that the Bible itself was adjusted and manipulated by various consuls and scribes. So saying that, if something is attributed in word or deed that, to Jesus that doesn't reflect what I choose to know to be love and order and truth, I personally don't give it much weight in my own mind as I progress in my own experience of life. So what is hell? In many times, parts of the Old Testament, the word Sheol was more accurately used. And more than not, it was used as a, as a synonym for the grave. Later, it took on the flavor of a place of punishment. 
and as it was used in the New Testament, it can more accurately be thought of as an Aramaic metaphor that alludes to a future place after death that because it was unknown was viewed with a great deal of trepidation. There's another word that was used uh, which the concept of hell came from and it's the Greek word Gehenna. And this was a valley southwest of Jerusalem where the city dump was located. A perpetual fire consumed all the garbage and the glow could be seen at night. Presumably the stench was also great. And centuries prior to that, and well known to the people of that day, it was even worse. Idol-worshipping kings of Israel sacrificed children in the, uh, in the eternal fire. And so it became legendary as a place of human suffering and eternal fire. As Jesus spoke of hell, I choose to think he was using this as a metaphor for the effects that take place from choices that are not in alignment with the energy that he knew to be God. If anyone knew, certainly Jesus knew that, the, uh, that we each are creators of our own realities and that a literal hell that would keep people in eternal torment <clears throat> wasn't in the mix of a God that is described as love. So what is heaven? Like the thought of hell, it is a state of consciousness, hence a state of alignment, conscious alignment with the God source energy that we are and that manifests wherever we find ourselves as consciousness and it does the only thing that consciousness ever does, it expresses as our life. Unity says that heaven, again, isn't a piece of celestial real estate where the good go after they transition and abide there in perpetual lethargy throughout eternity. You know, the universe does not sustain lethargy in any form, nothing static, and certainly this extends to all forms of life, certainly us. So heaven, in our point of understanding, is a parenthesis in the non-physical, between ventures into physicality, where we again, using the universal law, create and co-create from our ever-broadening dream and desire and plan. And in our belief system, this is what we've been up to for a long, long time. So any hell we choose to experience is limited only to this dimension and the effects from choices we make. Heaven, the consciousness that it is, is always available as we align ourselves with the God reality that we truly are. And if, for whatever reason, we choose not to do that, it awaits each and every one. So once we shrug off this mortal coil, once the poet said, that is exactly the reality that we become, conscious, fully aware of who we truly are. It is difficult to talk about heaven and hell within a unity understanding that, that includes what is called the final judgment, the possible existence thereof that throughout the years has been used as a fear-based marketing tool of the traditional church. What is the picture that is used? Well, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of a very anthropomorphic God, and as presumably everyone is brought before them, everyone who has ever lived, presumably, you can guess how many that would be, and everyone is at that point sent upward or downward. 
And another caveat that is often present is that this is at the end of the world. The world's going to end, folks, and at the end of the world, you're going to be judged, and you will either go to a perpetual hell or a wonderful heaven where you will sit and do nothing forever. Is there a judgment day? Most assuredly. But as you might imagine, unity believes in a different way than usually taught. Actually, we can think of two kinds of judgment days, so to speak. One of them is buried so deeply in the annals of time and beyond that, that its possible occurrence is the stuff that is the grist for mystics and similar. It is a moment at the beginning, a moment that may only exist in the mind of a poet, alluding to the line in, of a song in Jonathan Livingston Seagull where it says, where the clouds are hung for the poet's eye, at the beginning of all time when God creative energy set the whole ball rolling and pronounced or judged it good and very good. And if this be so, then the final judgment has already been given, and once pronounced, it can't be reversed. The next judgment day is every day or moment of our lives, when and where we set some type of cause, as in cause and effect, into motion. It is each and every moment we inject some belief that we perhaps have elevated to the level of truth into what is our vibrational signature that then through the law of consciousness brings similarly frequencied effects into our experience. See, we, of course, are our own judge and the outcomes are very temporary hellish experiences as well as very heavenly ones as we choose. Then hot on the heels of looking at heaven and hell from within a unity perspective is the subject of good and evil that often is couched in the question, if God is good, then why is there bad? It is very close to the definitions of heaven and hell. Heaven is equated with good. Hell, of course, can be equated with bad. What about the question that is often posed as badness uh, is seen or evil is seen? The question is, why does God allow this to happen? Ever heard that question? Maybe you've even voiced it yourself. Then to use, not you, but others, their question as a rather smug foundation for throwing out the baby with the bathwater. Aha, I have asked the unanswerable question. Hence, there can't be any God. True, that God should have died a long time ago, for it is based on that anthropomorphic image that looks out on the landscape of human existence and seeing something bad yet chooses not to remedy it or worse, is incapable of doing anything. Certainly there are bad events and behaviors, things to be seen and experienced, just as there are good events, things and experiences and behaviors. Each is a function of consciousness that launched them. Each is a function of choices made. And what I want you to really hear as we start to circle our lesson to a close is that no one who finds themselves within a good event or no one who finds themselves within a bad event is there by accident, only by right of consciousness. Now this for some is one of the last holdouts as self-responsibility 
is further translated into our always being in our right and perfect place at the right and perfect time by right of consciousness. Hence, accident, bad luck, and victimhood no longer in our vocabulary. You see, if luck and chance were part of the eternal wharf and woof of the tapestry of life, then all talk about self-responsibility is a joke. Be glad that there isn't luck, accident, chance, that everything is a matter of consciousness, for this means that if we change the input, which is a function of thought, if we learn to monitor the accompanying heart talk or feelings that will always give us GPS-like guidance as it places its stamp on all thought, by so listening, we learn that if something feels off, to change our focus, to change our thought. If we can change the input, we can change our lives. To recap, heaven and hell are states of consciousness. If heaven was a physical place, as in up there, Jesus did a miserable job in describing it. He used parable, hidden treasure, pearl of great price, a mustard seed, and more. And then he said that its real existence is within us. Now, in his day, he didn't have the word consciousness to use. But could he have said it more plainly, that heaven is a state of consciousness, than he did as he cited parable? In truth, only it has reality. Yet we can choose to initiate causal thoughts that result in outcomes that can be described as varying degrees of hell, but only that which is God's source energy is real, and since we are extensions of that, very essence is it logical that we would turn upon ourselves and send ourselves into everlasting torment. I don't think so. So if a fear of the transition is yet lurking somewhere within you, or if you find yourself worried about the bad stuff in the world that might find you. First, the only thing that takes place once we transition is an awakening into pure positive awakened energy. Then, as to the bad stuff, to keep a focus as much as we can on perhaps the apostle's words. Remember what he said? Whatever is true, whatever is honest, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good report, if there is any virtue in these things, think upon them. See, to the degree that we do this, then only these vibrational energies are part of who we are. And if there is bad in the world, its energy will not find a point of agreement, a handshake within us, and it shall not come nigh our dwelling. Remember, in truth, it's all good. And so are you. <laughs>